Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Well, we've done some unbelievable things on Open Mic, but one thing we have not done ever is been together right me and the guests we've zoomed we've been virtually together i have mike mcdaniel here we're in arizona mike is changing the game literally i think you guys made some rules today Mm -hmm. and uh kind enough to join me here on open mic hello i i I feel honored to be a part of the first real open mic right for a, a real open mic to occur i think we could agree that there needs to be two mics correct with two mics two mics with two mics and we are very open very open we're open to all sorts of things um including a discussion about um all things football but Mm -hmm. i actually want to start with uh, a different sport because when you walked in i was setting up and you ended up having a phone conversation with an old friend of mine yes um and uh two of my favorite coaches talking shop and uh why don't you why don't you tell me or recap for me what you asked my friend steve kerr to do for you so for uh i understand as i understand it this is to let all the viewership know um, the type of contacts that you have and who you talk to. Yes, it's a name. It's a name droppy. It's a name drop thing. Yes, Steve Kerr was on the phone. Correct. Which I fanboyed out to. Um, that and uh, you know got on the phone. Babble. My heart was racing. Um, I was uh, babbling all sorts of complimentary things, um, which he took in stride. Um, told me he could teach me how to shoot like Steph, which I'm excited about. Um, so I guess I'm here to uh, disclose the possibility of a career change. You know, so, you know, Steve and I grew up together in L.A. I was like the only Warrior fan at our school because I was born in San Francisco, Niner Warriors, you know. I used to get clowned by him and everyone else. Wait, 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 wait. So, so he, he, he took your fandom shamed you in the present and then made it his objective to be the head coach of? I I prefer to look at it this way. 
I win. Uh-huh. Like he was like, oh, Warriors, whatever. I, I think, you know, that's why I go to victory parties on the road after championships shamelessly mm-hmm. and all that. So I, I would say this, you know, you brag about your friends. I will say that he did retire not only as a five-time NBA champion, but with the highest three-point percentage in NBA history. He still has it. Right. Um, he also was second to Wilt Chamberlain, believe it or not, because he, he and I were texting about this. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain played the most games in NBA history without fouling out. Steve Kerr retired as the second before being passed by uh, Jamal Crawford, I believe. Oh, so he, he, he's measured competitively for the for the the motives of the team. Well, what he said is, I averaged 14 minutes a game, so that that really helped. Uh, so and when when you're not on the court, you're not fouling. Correct. You you miss a hundred percent of the fouls. You can't. I'm better at make. not fouling than he is, though. You zero fouls. Well, I, you have uh, you've caused a stir a, a time or two, and so I should you know for for you viewers, uh, Mike and I have known each other a long, long time. Long time. I was kind of like poking my head in Cleveland and Atlanta into coaches offices and locker rooms. I felt uncomfortable. Yeah, asking questions like, how did you guys like uh, totally uh, mind F that team? Because right, and then we worked on um, your voice and your delivery of words. Correct. And then you stopped talking like that. Yeah, and then I went on television and uh, just decided to talk like myself. And here I am on a podcast, you know. Discovering yourself. Ex- incredible. So we've known each other a long, long time. And, uh, you know, I was so excited when you started getting noticed and ended up becoming someone who could interview for a head coaching job. Oh, uh, yeah, you, you knew me well before. So you've seen. Yes. You, 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 you <laughs> I remember vividly. There was a combine um, experience, and we were at um, uh, the Asian cuisine. What was it? Uh, PF Chang's. And um, you know, I, I met Brian Heimerdinger there, and he was eating with you. Um, and I remember vividly you going, "Who is this guy?" Yeah. Right. Um, but then. Because literally the first thing you said after saying hi, I'm Mike, you, the waitress came and you asked some insane, esoteric, existential question about the tea or something. And, you know, it, you were working on material. It was, yeah, I didn't know you well, but I was just kind of looking at, you know, Kevin Murphy and Brian Heiberdinger going like, what is happening? And they, and they had, you know, they had done you justice. They're like, look, you got to meet McD. He's, you know, you know how Kyle's a genius, Kyle Shanahan. Mike is also like, especially with the run game, he is doing stuff that is, you know, way next level and blah, blah, blah. So this is why I pay those people. To exactly. Say that. And, but then I, re- I also remember the very next day, cause that night, I think we ended up out, uh, as one does at the combine mm-hmm. till three, four in the morning and had this crazy time at prime, uh, the, the infamous combine haunt. And the next day I saw you and I go, dude, that was awesome, man. We party. That was so great. And you were like, Oh, I don't drink because you had in fact, uh, mm-hmm. stop drinking and I kind of just looked at you like I get that a lot and you said to me that is a skill that I could make you you know assume that I was partying with you when in fact I was drinking Red Bull or um, one could call it a personality flaw that people um, can't uh, diagnose between sobriety and um, uh, under the influence or you know in a serious related question to me being sober it was a the combine was a a very um practical application of something that i had to solve because one of the things that you know the anxieties of stop stopping drinking is that um now all of a sudden you're going to become a social um hindrance you know so combine time and stuff I, i i when i stopped drinking i didn't want um the, that to limit my ability to interact or, or be really a social weight. So when you told me that, I was like, yeah. And the, so for people who don't know, the combine is basically spring break for coaches and talent evaluators. Yeah. 
you know, you you became a head coach on your very first interview. Uh, we've joked with uh, your now partner in crime, General Manager Chris Greer, uh, known for just being an abusive, you know, r rancid personality across the land. But uh, we've joked about how I called Chris Greer uh, to kind of check in on the coaching search. I love that story. And, I, I, and so this is a true story. Can, I, can you tell the story the way you told it to Chris? Yeah. And so Chris was like, he was very aware of all of it. So. Well, cause so what happened was I remember I was driving and I was down like in Oakland, I think, and I was driving and I, and you know, we kind of checked in and I said, Hey, you guys are running a great search. And this was sincere. I said, you know, Brian Dayball, I go, look, dude, I mean, how can you not be amazed by what he's done with Josh Allen? I, I don't think he's trying to be Bill Belichick. I think he's his own guy. Went on, went on and on about yeah. Dayball. And then we got to Vance Joseph and I sincerely was like, I love VJ. He's good energy in the building. He's so smart you know he's he's going to be a great head coach the second time around and then I kind of go oh yeah and Mike and then uh by the time I got done talking about you Chris goes pause so you basically just called to try to stick up for Mike and you couched it as and I was like okay I'm busted sorry oh, and Chris yeah. Greer or Chris Greer has uh uncanny ability to read yeah people yeah so that's he, scouting he, he sniffed you out um but at the same time he appreciated the 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 and i appreciate it as you as you yeah. tell it you know um what you thought was like super um camouflage and covert <laughs> yeah I, I don't think i did well but the the one thing i really felt like i wanted to convey to him because he obviously met you and, and understood a lot about your credentials but i just you know I, chris is a very nice guy and the, there have been some discord in the building and i just you know one thing i've always thought about you because most coaches are crazy and very in different ways but you see the good in players and i want to get into this but I, i've talked to you for so long about this player that player and and a lot of coaches fall back to like i that he he drives me crazy does this and you see the positive like as your fallback and so i just thought like that positivity if nothing else was going to be something that should be accentuated when he was talking about you so you get the job and i'm like you know i was torn because i was really happy for you and psyched but i was like ah now i have to share them with the world and and i remember your first i remember the first time Kyle I'll let you do a press conference as the offensive coordinator and it was on zoom it was during covid and you're like hey you should watch you know and i so i watched and i texted you afterwards i'm like you know how'd it go and you're like i don't know it was on zoom and i'm like did anyone get the joke and you're no. like i don't think anyone got no it. but that but that's been the story of my life um for whatever reason uh you know searching for that that one laugh um Maybe, you know, when I was five or something, maybe it, uh, it took me a while to get that one laugh. Um, but sent for, for as long as I can remember, it didn't matter about um, the majority. Uh, it was about just getting one person to uh, think something was humorous. And I thought, and over time, you start to like the jokes that don't hit with most of the people, but then get your little, your little sect, you know, the, the little audience that... Um, actually understands the, the faithful the faith right well you know one thing that I really appreciate because I have the same horrible sensibilities is you will beat a joke into the ground oh, shamelessly absolutely so we all saw the Mike Jones right. uh, there's a journalist named Mike Jones very good journalist mm -hmm. and when he would ask a question to you you would well uh, that I guess people could that was the first time that something that I said um and just kind of went viral, right? Um, and that specific one, um, you have to understand in the in the con in the context of the way it was distributed. This was Zoom, and a Zoom interview is pretty weird when it's you have multiple interviewers um, because it's active speaker, so you don't know what's coming. Um, and uh, that particular instance, I I hadn't seen Mike Jones since the days in uh, 2013, probably in Washington. Um, so his face appeared and it was the first thing I thought of. Um, and uh, so he started asking a question. I interrupted and I said, who? 
Mike Jones. <laughs> so um, I see. I love the pause. The pause. Oh, making, that's, yeah. that's everything. Because yeah. the, uh, it's a hip hop reference that, you know, some right. some people were able to immediately and grasp. We're like, what's funny about this? His name's Mike Jones. Um, so that was right in my wheelhouse. Like, yes. You, know, you just find a, a small sect. But I feel like Mike Jones got it. He, oh, he got it. Yes. You know, because it is his name. Right. He, in fact, he would be a third bike if we had him on open mic oh, right now. I guess, I guess the whole cortex of the world is being flipped because we're on open mic with two mics, talking into two mics, talking about a mic. And since we're talking, uh, or since we're on the topic of mics, um, so I grew up with Steve Kerr, which I've flaunted now uh-huh. shamelessly. I, I planted the phone call as you walked in. You grew up with um, a comedian, literally. So t- um, tell me about you and Dan oh, Soder growing up. That's and, great. So um, yeah. Dan Soder and I were, um, we became best friends in seventh grade. Um, and we were both. Um, you know, kind of awkward, oversized head to body ratio. Um, that changed. Uh, it did. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but we, we were, we wanted to get involved in the cool kids. Um, and, you know, we had aspirations of middle school popularity like everyone does. Um, and we had a little sect of friends that was kind of like, at that time, it was like a, a skateboarding crew. Um, and this is in Colorado. In Colorado, still in Greeley or down in Denver now. This is in Laredo Middle School. Okay. In um, in uh, what was unincorporated Arapahoe County, now Centennial. Okay. And uh, what, what was interesting about it was, you know, in middle school, uh, to be cool is a little two twenty five action. Are we talking? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, you two twenty five exit yeah. on the road. There you go. go. South. Yeah. You can go on Quincy or Orchard, whatever. Okay. Um, I like it. And then, uh, but we we weren't cool enough to be cool in middle school because in cool in middle school you had to be smoking marble reds. You had to. Be, wow. Girls had to be interested in you. Yeah, that that um, killed me. We 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 didn't. We weren't ready for marble reds. Um, and girls weren't that interested in us. So we got picked on our little crew um, of uh, friends that were the cool kids, but we were the bottom feeders of the cool kids. Um, and we, um, on days where we had a ton of unrest of people just poking at us, we'd be like, you know, one day you're gonna be a stand-up comedian. I'm gonna be a head coach. And then they'll laugh. And we used to say that, we used to say that stuff. All. You spoke I mean, it into existence. We, we were both those random quirky kids that had their career set out at like five years old. Um, and he re- literally became an actor and a stand-up comedian. Oh yeah, he, well he did it the, the, the half loony way where he went, um, he, he went to the University of Arizona, he did open mics in Tucson um, which, okay, and then, yeah, right. then he graduates and he moves to New York City and did it the, gra- you know, the don't skip a step, um, w- you know, work as a waiter, serve people so that you can go on these free spots and develop your craft. Wow. You know, it's, it was the coolest process. Um, it's probably a lot like, you know, training receiver coaches for Kyle Shanahan uh, over the offseason. So, yeah. but he was, you want to talk about something entertaining, you have, a, you have a, 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 a young adult trying to figure out who he is, who's passionate about comedy. He, um, I remember we took a spring break in high school as, as seniors, we drove to, in one of those Astro minivans. Um, nice. To Arizona or something. Um, and it, he had this tape of this guy named Dave Chappelle, right? What year is this? 99. Whoa. Um, 99 was, no, no, it was 2000 because it was junior year. It wasn't senior year now that I think of it. Man. Um, and, and he could, and he was like exposing this whole group of friends to this hilarious Dave Chappelle character. But then he had this um, unique way, like memorizing a song where we'd be at the end of the night, um, you know, maybe it was on that trip, maybe it wasn't, uh, a bunch of 
you know, guys staying at one house. Uh, we just probably went to a house party somewhere because somebody's parents were out of town. We'd go back and and then he would be able to go, he'd be able to um, do stand-up routines from other people that we hadn't heard. Whoa. And we'd be like pissing ourselves. That's crazy. So- and, then, and then that morphed into, okay, well, in high school, parents aren't always out of town, so you can't have these parties on the weekends trying to find stuff to do. Oh, let's go to Soder's garage. And then he would be, we'd be- It's like a garage band. And then he would just be going, he'd get into these grooves and just be rattling off the stuff. So he was getting training. Mar- Marlboro's involved yet or was that? Um, I think, you know, uh, what's it called where you can't get in trouble for- Statute of limitations. Right, I think yeah. it passed. Yeah. So um, they're probably, I bet there was. Yeah. Um, I never jumped onto that train. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, but yeah, there was that. There was some, uh, you know, if if we could find the right adult, maybe some alcohol purchase, yeah, type of stuff, yeah. Um, but we'd be hanging out in there. He would just be unleashing this, and that's where, to me, when I talked to him, that's where he got that drive. On top of the, like, oh, I think this is what I want to do. Oh no, this is what I need to do, and it's been unbelievable to watch him progress to points of yeah he's on billions that's what people know but he has specials he has hbo special and like just like us. like back in the we garage like, yeah no chris rock has hbo special right you have an hbo special you know, uh, like it's so been really cool to watch this is, a, this is an important question uh, has he evaluated your especially since you became a head coach or a more high profile has he evaluated any of your you know, delivery lines, you know. And- uh, no, because he's a good human that doesn't want to completely blow up my self-confidence. <laughs> um, kind of like Kerr doesn't yeah. evaluate my he, jump shot. Yeah, right. Yeah. He, he allows me to feel as though I could pop potentially be funny, um, which I think is a gift that only a, a true friend could give. Well, I feel like if he, like if he needed someone to introduce him, like let's mm-hmm. say, and you just with very little prep, mm-hmm. just walked out there with the very dry sense of humor that mm-hmm. you typically display, I kind of feel like you could kill. Oh no, well, so for me, I'm just a different, like I, I can't even venture to, to, un, to, when I look at stand-up comedians, to, hold the audience through the transitions to continue to tell the story and to do that for a set, which is, that blows my mind. Yeah. Um, probably in practice with Soder in the garage, I realized, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm not a stand-up comedian, but a surprise element of randomity and humor, I can always hit with that. So I'm more of a, like a surprise attack. Hey, this is funny. Oh, you laughed? Now I'm going to leave the room. Yeah, yeah, right. Leave on a high note. Right. Okay. So you come to Miami, you get the job. Um, went one for one, first interview, at, at first head coaching interview. And we've talked about this. The environment has changed. There was a time where someone like you would have been stigmatized. I don't know if stigmatized is the word, but you weren't. your profile wouldn't have been the classic, he's going to be a head coach profile. I mean, we're right in those times. Yeah. People are still adjusting. Um, to can do people really listen to this guy no it was it's it's real and um, you know I I had obsessed about being a head coach for so long and then I kind of got beaten down um, <laughs> in terms of like there was guys surpassing me and I was like and then a confluence of working with Dan Quinn and there's there's a um, a group by uh, by the name of Vision Pursue, led by Russ Roush, that kind of like, no, no, no. Ironically, the best way for things to progress is for you to stop worrying about that and just worry about your job. Just, uh, just go do your job. And so then I started doing that, um, and I don't, with no, with no um, ulterior motives of like, hey, I, I want to get a. I let go of being a head coach, thinking that if I'm a master of this stuff, you know, it will happen. But I, I, I truly didn't look at it like, okay, there's these jobs, let me prepare. Um, and, you know, I, the 
with the success that the people that I've worked with in the system and, and the stuff that um, Kyle was allowing me to do and that having success and kind of having, you know, this was a homegrown, like people, people such as yourself, but then coaches and stuff, they'd known about me for a long time and known me as a worker. Um, and I don't know if you felt bad for me, but I feel like you and a lot of people like were like, Come on, you can do it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just felt more like, uh, well, you had been through some stuff and we could get into that. But, you know, you alluded to you, you changed your lifestyle, mm -hmm. no drinking and all that. Um, and and you kind of, you know, as you put it to me, you went full Eminem and 8 Mile and decided so, I'm going to own that. So well, what's tricky is then you get the opportunity, you get, oh, hey, this team wants to interview you. Well, I just spent a lot of time not worrying about the interview. So then all of a sudden, and it's during the playoff run, you're like, okay. And I didn't have time to really overthink the whole thing. Um, and I had one opportunity um, and I was very, very, I, I was looking at it like this. From a historical perspective, a guy gets an interview. Okay, now you got a real shot the next cycle. Right, right, right. And then, so that's the way I was approaching it. And then I did an interview over Zoom and they asked me for a second one and I got feet on the ground into, into Miami. With your giant AirPods. Giant AirPods. No, this was, yes, this was giant AirPods. Um, and oh then, no, maybe that was after no, you was. got, oh yeah, that was, okay. No, because I was wearing them, but what you're referencing yes. is when I had the job, but it was the same AirPods. Yeah, you got out of the plane and your oh, yeah. AirPods were not the tight little ones like that I wear usually yeah, on the show. The, there was motivation behind that. I wanted to be known as the AirPod guy. Did you, yeah. did Apple call you? Like that would no. have been a net, right, because they got it for free. They're yeah, like, we, the, yeah. Exploitation at its finest. It really, it really right. is. So that I'm not really thinking that way and then I get feet on the ground and I meet the people in the building and Chris Greer's giving me a tour. Um, and I had a bunch of background information from people that had worked um, for the Miami Dolphins. A lot of coaches have come through and I'm realizing live speed that I'm like, this is the, this is everything I've ever wanted. You know, I've been in, set, in six different organizations at the time and I'm recognizing like, this place has all the utility and just needs a head coach to to fit within you know people don't understand a lot goes into a football team and you have to have synergy from coaching staff and players but you also all the support staff and those are the ones that deal with players every day that you know I've been I've been in organizations where they have been a huge root of a problem, whether it's training staff, whether it's um, video department, equipment. whether equipment, whether it, it's the person, all this stuff. And I'm like, this is, whoa, this is perfect. So now I'm like, oh, I can't mess this up. You know? Um, now you're nervous. <laughs> it wasn't nervous. It was like hyper-focused, like, okay, you just worked 39 years. You got about eight hours, dude. <laughs> This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes 
that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you get it. And you, and we talked about you're very positive when it comes to players. You've got a quarterback to a tongue of Iloa who has basically been consigned by not just outsiders, but most of the NFL as eh, shouldn't have drafted him. Um, not good. Got to move on and get better. Um, tell me the process of how you kind of evaluated Tua and, and you know, helped helped uh, him ascend. This is cool because there's a this is two pronged um, and there's a specific moment that I think we can we can detail. That's uh, it was really cool nice. about the whole journey, but. For context, like when I when I first started assessing the situation, you have the fifth pick in the draft um, and all the things that were involved in in his uh, his experience thus far in the NFL. Um, I found it was hard for me to not look at him and think of my my experience. <laughs> and in my experience in the world, shoot, I, I, I'm a head coach now, um, and I know where I came from, and I know. Um, like, how, how do I even have a chance to have this over, to even fulfill this overly ambitious um, uh, vision or drive or dream that I had? Um, and I knew I would have had no chance had I not um, been built up by my mom to that, you know what, you can do, you can do anything. You are, you are, the smartest, whatever, everything, a, you know, a single mom would tell a child. Yeah. I know at a young age, I, I gravitated to that, that, that gave me the confidence that we all have those moments where it's like, okay, um, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so do you go into those moments of uncertainty with, um, faith that you're going to get it done or, um, you know, anxiety or apprehension that you're going to fail. And I had gone through all those moments with just vigor and fearlessness because of how I've been built up. So I saw Tua like that, like, how can we even approach the idea of we know what this player is when, I don't know, from my vantage point, who does this guy have that believes in him? So we have to start with, um, he has to know that someone's 100% in his corner, which I see is that's what a coach is, um, and that, no, dude, you can do it. So I had to convince him that I believed in him so he could, so then he can in turn allow himself, you know, because I've been through it. Sure. And I saw that. And then there was a particular moment that set everything off. And it was in 
early early March or something, we're, we're going through um, free agency. And um, in, in that free agent process, we're meeting with all the scouts um, and, and coaches in a room and, and we're discussing um, all sorts of things about, okay, well, we need to do this, that, or the other and all the different directions you can go in free agency to build your team. And, and I knew in my mind that Tua needed skill position players that were dynamic with the ball in their hands because I, I saw him as, you know, I, this dude is a point guard, right? He, he, he has a gift that way. Um, and then some of the people in the personnel were like, you know what, no, we need to spend money on offensive linemen. And, and I, I could feel that I, I knew that, that I disagreed with it. But I hate the, hey, everyone, no, because I said so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, cool. Taking the information, let me go back to the office. Go back to the office, and I, and I cut on the tape. And so I'm cutting on the tape to build the tape to explain to the, the entire coaching staff and um, to start the conversation from my lens so we can get to where we need to go. And I'm watching the different skill positions, and, and then – as I progress through the tape, I start to notice this trend. And it's like, wow, that's like the seventh different outbreak that I've watched to a throw to the field. Um, and just, just for a quick, um, or a quick explanation of that is an outbreak to the field is I see once or twice from a particular quarterback in a season because- Whoa the receiver's running away from you, meaning the ball's in the air longer, which is a higher risk for defenders to make up that ground, undercut and pick six for a catastrophic turnover. This is a high risk throw that quarterbacks are very nervous to make. And he's doing it. And so show, and, and then he, the receiver's going. So like, let's say um, the ball is on the left hash. Okay. We're going that way. Yep. The ball's on the left hash. So the receiver from where the, the ball snapped, the receiver on the right is running a route, an out route. Oh, got it. To the field. To the field. Right. So it would be on the right to the field and he would make pinpoint throws that are down the field, 10 yard throws, but are literally 40 yard throws. And I'm like. And fearlessly. And so then. What, what started as an explanation of like how guys needed to be more open for Tua turned into this Marvel sesh that started at about 6.30 p.m. And then I just start watching until midnight on a random weekday in the off season and end up compiling this thing where I'm like, oh, I thought I knew, I didn't even know wow. what we're sitting on. And I'm, so I'm like freaking out and I'm like, I'm sitting on this. I know for a fact from this night of study that this is the, the best quarterback for our offense that I've ever come come that I've had a chance to coach. Whoa. And I'm like freaking out. Right. So then I call, um, I call Ann Nolan, our head of PR and I'm like, just write this date down. This is crazy. Okay. Get off the phone with her. Call Chris Greer. I'm like, this is midnight. I'm like, dude, I just got to tell you, I've gone through like 700 different passes from 700, 700 passes. And I, I, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. This guy is doing stuff that, um, that I, I just haven't focused all my attention on this quite yet. And we are sitting on a gold mine. We need to do everything. Everything we do moving forward should be um, skill position players that have the ability to do stuff with the ball in their hands. Because this guy, if they're open, he'll get it to him. And, you know, and this is something that we've done in San Francisco. I can see the vision where we have run after the catchy act guys. Right. Now, and then, now you got to tell Tua. But I'm not even there yet. Then, then I go home. It's probably 1 a.m. I can't even sleep. 
I come back at three, refine the tape, and come up with, I need to show the whole organization this tape today. Whoa. I'm gonna wait for Chris to wake up. He wakes up <laughs> calm. I'm like, dude, sorry, this is, but we need to have, can we have a staff meeting um, at 8 a.m.? When are the scouts gonna be in? Okay, we're gonna have, and we're gonna have everybody in there, and I just need to show this tape. I have to get this off my chest. And he's like, cool. And then we, we um, get the whole staff together and I just run through 150 clips in a row to kind of explain, okay, this is, this is the offense that he played within. These are some of the things he's capable of and a historical perspective on um, offenses and, and what we've, what our offense is able to do if we have this type of player with some San Francisco stuff and all. And it was like this. And from that meeting on, meeting ends, everyone kind of loosely discusses. That afternoon, we have these analytic charts of um, the, the people in free agency that have the best ability to separate and have most yak stuff. And the whole organization saw it and we just moved in the direction to, all right, we're empowering to a, um, let's go. And Nick called to in, showed him the same tape. Um, you know, anybody, anybody that was willing to listen, I was making sure they knew because I wanted everyone on the same page. When Tua saw it, how was he? He was, it was interesting because it was like that, um, it was like the most extreme case of a person not knowing how to take a compliment. He was, you could tell he was not used to um, anything but overly constructive negativity. So he didn't know how to take it. Did he almost not believe you? No, he was like, it just, it was a slow momentum building meeting that probably clips 75, he starts, he starts participating, like he's reading the room, like this isn't a trick, right? <laughs> this isn't a setup. And he's like, I can feel him get up in his chair and then I'm making the, the pitch of, okay, well, dude, you are doing all this incredible stuff. And in my estimation, people aren't open enough. This is what it should look like. Showed him so, and he gets fired. And then by the end of the season, you, like, you need playmakers. Yeah, you start. You, did you put on Niner clips, or did you go all the way back? Or what? yeah, it was it was intercut with some Niner clips and, yeah. and things to kind of help him. You know, I'm thinking about the. To me, um, one of the things that I do that's that's a staple that I learned from. I think John Gruden taught it to Kyle Shanahan, um, and it's something that. From Kyle's tree, we all have a little bit of our own element. Um, and you know, I've made, made tapes for Kyle for, for years. And the whole idea is telling a story and carrying uh, a narrative through video to tell your story. So you have more factual, real um, uh, backbone to your argument. Which translates to a Saturday night meeting with the players exactly. where you said, this is what we're going to do. These are all the, these are all the same kind of like skill set or whatever. Um, and, and that, that whole process, that whole process helped him understand, okay, why am I showing this to you? Um, uh, what, what this means, why you can trust me in, in my assessment and where we're moving forward and what he needs to focus on, kind of streamlined. Um, and it was the first building block. Um, and then that on top of practice tape and following suit, once we got onto the practice field, you could see a guy viscerally in front of you, like, Wow, maybe I am good. And by and by the way, here's Tyreek Hill, your new uh, right. target. And then, so I did the same thing with Tyreek Hill. Showed him the same tape, and it was one of those that um, you know I was only going this direction if I was without a doubt positive in what I was saying. I wasn't going to ruin my credibility with an organization or Tyreek Kill or anything. Yeah. Showed him that, and then immediately. Tyreek's like, oh yeah, totally. He started. And then, he started then, telling the world, kind and of. Then he, yeah. And then he hits yeah. the, 
um, which which was which was cool. It wasn't the exact way, that I, but it was also semi genius to Tyreek because like you know this everyone's talking about Tua is he this that or the other, and then you have this one of one guy come out and be like, no, this dude is the deal. Yeah, he's like say I like him. You know, he's more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. Which is like whoa, so, whoa, whoa, right? And it was um and. But regardless, that was just, it was something that I think um, it, it was a necessary process for the situation that, you know, I, I kind of felt I fell into, um, but it was so gratifying because you could watch, um, you know, I had this philosophy, philosophy of positivity and um, maximizing people. Um, getting the most out of them, yeah. not saying what they are. Okay, whatever. We're in the business of maximizing talent. So if that's the case, why am I talking about all this, all this stuff they can't do? Let's establish what they can do, and let's say, um, let, let's raise people's ceilings and their expectations of themselves. You know? Well, holy cow! I've had this belief forever. I talked to the to the guys that um, were interviewing me that ultimately hired me about it, and then boom! Immediately here I get to express it and then watch it. Oh yeah, phew! I was right. Yeah, right. And what, was it about week three where you were like, okay, uh, um, I think I think I can exhale on that? No, you know, <laughs> what was really funny is I felt like I was sitting on a secret forever um and the 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 relief part was probably right around when we were doing inner squad scrimmaging um and it was we were able to he too was able to execute some of the things um that he was doing against our own defense against another opponent um and so that there was the relief, um, and by the regular season, it was like finally we get to unveil the, unveil the secret that I feel like I've been sitting on forever, which is like, um, and it, it, it didn't take long. I think it was week two, um, where uh, you know we were down by several touchdowns and we had a 21 point comeback oh the Phillips yeah against Baltimore Baltimore, that's right and and that's when people started or they they kind of stopped the Mike McDaniel's crazy uh, to it they started to listen um which which was really cool um to be a part of for the player specifically because you're like, all right, dude, people will see eventually. And then it happens and they do, and he can feel that. And then um, watching how, I mean, it was amazing how much growth that human being had in the calendar year, more so than anything I've ever seen in my life. That's wild. You know, so the first person who really gave you a chance, Mike Shanahan, who I covered a ton in the 90s, know very, very well, and should be a Hall of Famer, hopefully, very soon. I mean, it's kind of silly. But um, Mike Shanahan in the 90s, and you you know your Broncos better than anyone, you know, he won those Super Bowls and had that incredible team with Ed McCaffrey, who was uh, a late draft pick, and Rod Smith, who was an undrafted free agent. And they blocked. They, you know, they were great players. No, no, it was, it was a big deal. And it was against the green from a, um, a NFL perspective because he did that. Um, and he, he had a high price free agent. I, I think it was um, he he let go of I want to say Mike Pritchard and yeah, that sounds and, right. And Ashley or um, Anthony Ashley Lalee. Uh, it was Anthony Miller. Yeah, Anthony Miller. Mike Pritchard um, and had these no names. Yeah. Um, you know, Rod Smith had like uh, a. a this is an undrafted former quarterback that kind of looked um, looked different, and, and Ed McCaffrey, who was on his second, third team, team, yeah, third team, 
and they would block um, and, and they would do and yak and, 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 <laughs> yeah and, uh, it was a bold move for you know a team that was um like shannon was be, being hired because uh you know the city of denver wanted you know they had those on the heels of the la super bowl losses right and you had a ticking um you had a ticking lifespan for their starting hall of fame quarterback that was the biggest thing that's ever happened to the entire city or state right so the urgency was now and to do that was and so you know as well versed as i've been on the shanahan way and obviously watching kyle from houston on just you know innovate and light it up but i've always had this way of explaining first mike and then kyle which is informed by that which is yeah you could get a star receiver but you could find guys like ed mccaffrey and rod smith who the world doesn't think of as stars and be really really good thus i'm not going to be like everyone else who freaks out and over um extends to get wide receivers but and you know tyreek makes me think of this i feel like once you guys got around julio in 2015 that maybe that changed your mentality a little no, bit no, it was um i think you you bring up a good point it it set the the it set um, kind of a expectation of normalcy to to go against a trend. So like it wasn't an absolute. Um, uh, you know the, the takeaway wasn't oh you don't have to have star receivers. It's that um, it's about a team and that can look a bunch of different ways. And just because one team does it one way doesn't mean um, you have to do it uh, and the in that they were able to get a couple receivers that blocked which helped them facilitate a true um, run pass conflict team a team that could run or pass um, on first and second down and and you know starting the beginning process of all the stuff that we we do today um, and no, the receiver. Yeah, um, we we both. Um, uh, I think all the people in the in the tree have definitely um, not just said, okay, you don't need to pay receivers. Quite the contrary. Right. But it's. Um, but I think that lesson manifests itself all over the place. Where it's, um, we need um a team and that can look many different ways and sometimes you don't need a first or second round draft pick um to do things um to get things done so then all of a sudden the running back stuff happens where you're able to get production out of and then that becomes the thing but that to me that's still that's still a different application of something that mike shanahan showed us was you know, Mike Shannon was fearless. Mike Shannon would just do whatever made sense at all costs. Um, and before, you know, those are things he was doing before he won Super Bowl. Yeah. Out of principle. Um, and then he does that, and then it, it really shapes, shapes the way we, we think from a professional football roster assembly, and he, he sets forth the way we think for the, for the next... 20, 25 years, which is why it makes no sense to us why he's not in the Hall of Fame. You know, uh, I, I, people will look back on 2012 in Washington, and you guys you went to the playoffs, but didn't win beyond that. But, you know, something seismic was going on. And I, you, you, you told me the story. You'd been in the UFL and then came back, and you always tell the story of walking in and kind of hearing Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur in these meetings, oh, yeah. kind of, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's annoying is the word, but just being guys who were no, like, they knew a lot. No, it was annoying for me. Right. Because I was like, well, I mean, these guys know a lot. It was, it was more like. And they're young. And they're young. Yeah. And you could tell they were excited. I mean, they were, they were just very passionate about everything they were doing. And so, you know, uh, to have a third voice trying to contribute to the same area um, within these staff meetings 
that would have been annoying. So it was annoying that I was out of social awareness, cut out of the conversation. So you have to find, uh, uh, to me it was obvious that these guys um, are really good um, at certain things. What, what is no one talking about? Okay, well then we get to the run game, we get offensive line play, and Kyle's only talking to Chris Furster, so I was like, uh, that guy. I wonder what he knows, which has got me started in the run game and kind of on a different path than, than the other guys. It was uh, just, uh, just a trial to, of survival and trying to find value. You know, uh, I've known Vic Fangio for a long time. He's a good friend of Chris Furster, as you know. Uh, he, you know, his persona, at least, because I think there's a curmudgeon factor that he mm -hmm. plays up, but he plays a guy who doesn't always uh, gravitate to the positive when he's talking, not just about players, about mm -hmm. whatever's going mm -hmm. on. Um, and he's an incredible coach, as mm -hmm. you know. Um, you know, first of all, I, you know, I want you, I want to know what excites you about having him as your defensive coordinator. But secondly, uh, there was a, you know, there was a report that he was coming to Miami and then Vic texted me and I, I think one other person and was like, I haven't made any decisions yet. And then it, it took a few days before it was official. Did that cause any stress or did you have it under control internally um, um, during that? So I guess I'll go to the second question before the first um, the yes and no I was chasing a scenario I, I thought the best thing I could possibly do for the football team would be um, have a scenario where we could get um, the the foremost expert um, at, in a defensive scheme in-house and he would want to be here so it was like under the guise of, all right, well, he wants to be here. So, um, and I was confident in that. I was confident in the in the uh, the the roster that you know Chris Greer had you had worked for years to um, build, and and uh, I was I from all testaments of my understanding of who he was and all the relationships that I have with different people that have conveyed things to me um, about him, it seemed like it was a perfect fit between him and I and then what the team needed. Um, and once that started as a thought and then I met with him and I was like, oh no, this is beyond a thought, this is the right thing. I was pretty confident um, that it would work out and you know there's a bunch of different you know Vic's been in the league a long time so um, you know there's there's certain things that he is um, the utmost liberty and should um, in terms of uh, contract negotiation and all that stuff um, you, did for you... semantics I was uh, I I could tell I thought he could tell if it was um, perfect for all parties involved so it was a uh, it was something that I was very confident in. And since um, you, holy cow, was I right? Whoa. Already, already. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, did you, did you have to promise him like, you know, a specific pasta dish every Friday, like naming, naming your boy Vic, if you have no, a boy, like no, anything he, weird? He made me promise that, um, you know, that there'd be at least on a couple occasions during the year that I would take him shopping and help his wardrobe. That's amazing because I know your wardrobe and, right. and, I, and we've been talking you a lot. saw that in me. Yeah. You know what? How can I dress like you? There's been... I get that a lot. And, and I, we've gone on and on and this has been incredible, so I don't want to keep you forever. We'll have future, many future conversations, but let's talk about your wardrobe before we get out of here. Uh, there has been... Uh, it's just clothes, man. You... I, I think you have an awareness that maybe there's some critiquing going on in our world and with, you know, and on very the outside. Much very uh, much aware. Yeah. It, it, what's, what's, what's up with the wardrobe? Look, look, look at it like, um, I look at it like my, um, uh, my personality. Okay. I, um, I think 
uh, I can be a bit of an extremist. Yeah. And I relate so to that. when, when, um, you sit there and you recognize that, uh, you know, that there is a certain level of honesty, authenticity, and transparency that's very desirable um, for professional athletes and just people in general um, with all the convoluted things that go on in the world. Um, you know, I think, I think for me it's been kind of non-negotiable to be myself. That, so then people see that in my personality. Um, well, I, I fight, like, I don't stop that at my personality. I've always kind of like um, had uh, an affinity for, you know, however, like shoes, I've, I've, I've always kind of like um, liked matching my clothes and um, that's always kind of been a part of of me, um, whatever that style is. And so even though I know I'm um, potentially putting a bullseye on my back, um, knowing that anything that I do um, that is um, not par for the course is kind of doing that, I also don't give myself the option because like for me to be in, in my house, in my closet, and then being like, oh, you know, yeah, that's what I would wear, but they might say something about it. No, then, then I've just I've begun the slippery slope that is becoming something that isn't who I am. So I, I do, I'm kind of oblivious to it. Um, you know, some of the people that I work with, uh, you know, one time in Indy, um, or Indy, uh, I was getting ready to do an NFL deal and Chris Greer goes, Oh, leather. So then I was like, oh, that, that stood out to him. It's probably going to stand out to people. Okay, this might be a thing. And then people are commenting on my, but I just. That was the night we all hung out. And right. by the way, I'm just going to go on record. That was dope. Like, I would tell you if I didn't love that leather jacket. Well, I mean, it's fantastic. But regardless if you did or didn't, like, I was like, you know, this is what I'd want to wear. You know, it's one of those weird, hard lines that you draw on the sand where it's just like i'm going to be myself this is part of me it's whatever if i ever feel like you need it a pick me up or it's getting to you i'm gonna get a tape together probably 700 different shots of you in clothes oh man and we're gonna we're gonna, like you and Tua, we're gonna sit down and start watching it yeah. and you might not believe me Build at me first up, but i'm gonna be like me those zenya shoes with no socks you know that yeah that was you hit that right no and you know what uh you can see that people need that yeah you know, people need affirmation um yeah can you leave us with like an open mic affirmation because we've done now 20 of these episodes and we've had incredible guests yeah but you know you always wonder like mm -hmm. is this hitting we're here on the volume great network Colin okay Coward. so i have no idea how long this interview was um, That's a real compliment. Absolutely. Because it was, actually, it was in fact, six hours and 23 minutes. Right. I've missed flights. I've alienated my family. Same. But wow, during the process, totally engaged, vibrant. And, um, no, I, I went into this thinking this was going to be an exhaustive chore. Yeah, um, for sure. That I wouldn't enjoy this back and forth. Totally. Laborsome. And you know what? Put a microphone in front of you. And you're something to work with, dude. This was awesome. God, that's just, you know, I'm going to leave these owners meetings feeling more excited than a player who's switching to jersey number zero. Official. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Can I speak into your mic, Mike? Mike. Mike out. Mike appreciated. Mike fulfilled. Mike desirable. And in fact, Mike closed. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.